Well, that was the French Church Smiley Face Quartet that you heard this morning. I hope you got that message of don't worry, be happy. And it kind of reminds me that uh, Pastor Kevin is down in Jamaica this morning, and I'm sure you're praying for him as he is there doing some reconnaissance for our missions work here at French Church. I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and just great to be here and to be part of the worship here this morning. You know, that was fun, and I enjoyed it, and we're, we're to be happy. And I, this week, I was a very happy camper. I don't know about you, but on Thursday, I paid $1.75 for a gallon of gas. Yeah, isn't that exciting? I, I was down in Warren, Ohio, and there was a sheets there, and it was $1.75, and I pulled in. I, I still had a quarter of a tank of gas, but I said, I can't pass this up. So I pull in, and I fill up, and to fill up three quarters of a tank of an of a SUV, a Ford Escape, took $19.90-some cents. I stopped short of 20. I mean, it was full. I could have done more. But how exciting is that? Be happy. I almost felt like I was having a flashback into the past. It was like back to the future. But as I thought about that, and I thought about flashing back to the past, a life for you in a second, just a flashback a week ago with me, as uh, Pastor Kevin was up here, and he was um, challenging us to start off the new year by seeking first. Seeking God first. Started off your year by seeking Him first. And He gave us a game plan to accomplish it. And it started with uh, that famous verse out of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus sat down with, with His disciples on the mountaintop, and He, and he starts talking with them, and he, and he says in Matthew 6.33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, He's been talking about His Father. So He's talking about God the Father. He's saying, seek God's kingdom first. Seek God's, the Father's kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then he, Pastor Kevin even went on to give us uh, some helpful tips on how to seek God first. And if you remember these tips here, if you weren't here last week, you can get caught up right here on last week's sermon. He gave us a few things. He said, seek first. Seek first the first of each day. Seek God in, in prayer and study and devotion and meditation. Start off your day by seeking God. The first of each week, gather together. That's what we're doing here this morning. You've taken that hint, and you've taken that, and you've, you've put feet to your faith, and you've been here, and you're, you're worshiping. The first of each month, we give. We offer a tithe. We realize, we understand, God, everything I have is a gift from you. And so I'll return part to him. And then the first of each year, we fast. We say, I want to focus so much on God, I'm going to give up something that takes my attention away from God. And during that time, I'm going to focus and fast on that. So we were going through this list of things, and, and I was sitting somewhere about three-fourths of the way back here in one of these sections and, and listening to the sermon and, and taking my notes, knowing that I was going to have to preach today. And I kept seeing this, seek first, seek first, seek first. And my mind kept asking, then what? <laughs> seek first, and then what? You know, there's always something after first. If there's a first, there's got to be a second. If there's a first base, there's a second base. If there's a first grade, eventually for some of us there was a second grade. If there's a first place, like in a ball game tomorrow night, national championship, I'm getting ready to do my first place national championship dance, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. First place, national champions. If there's a first place, there's got to be an Oregon. A second place. (laughs) Oh, was that a prophetic word? I hope. (laughs) If there's a first place, there's got to be a second place. So I left left the, the, the church here last Sunday thinking... What's next? After first, what comes second? What's next? I got in the car. We were driving to the Cavaliers game that afternoon, me and my son. And I said, I got my sermon for next week. I got the title. And how it's seek first, then what? And he says, well, then what? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I got home from the Cavaliers game. And I walked in the house. And Sheila and I are sitting around talking. I said, you know, I'm, I just felt impressed during the message. Seek first, but then what? And she said, well, What's then? I go, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm thinking, Lord, what is next? What is the then what after seek first? And I opened up my Bible, and I opened up to the passage that we had last week in Matthew chapter 6, and I read the next verse. And it jumped out at me, just like right in front of me the whole time. The then what? If I am seeking God, then what? Matthew 6, 34 says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here I think Jesus was saying, don't worry, be happy. Or as we might say in Jamaica, no problem, man. No problem. Don't worry, no worries. No problem. He says, If you seek me first, you have no reason to worry. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says it this way, verse 34, Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up. When the time comes, focus, concentrate on what God is doing right now in your life. When you're seeking Him first, when you're going to Him every morning and you're praying and you're, and you're doing devotions and you're studying and, and when you're coming to church and when you're giving your tithe and, and when you're fasting, focusing on what He's doing, we don't have a reason to worry, is what He says here. And he's really, when you think about it, and when you go back and look, what he's doing is he is summarizing what he's been talking about the last several minutes, or I don't know how long, with his disciples up there on the mount. He's, he's saying, okay, these words, seek first and don't worry, are really a summary of what I've been telling you over the last several minutes. So I want to go back. Go back even further, about ten verses, to Matthew Chapter 6, verse 25. And let's see what Jesus was talking about to come up to this conclusion that we should seek him first and then not worry. He says, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry, there it is again, about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? You see, Jesus in the verses just before this, you'll notice it starts off therefore. 
He had been talking and he had been warning us and warning those that were listening about the dangers of wealth, the dangers of putting your trust in your possessions. He says, in fact, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth. And he says, you can't serve God and money. And he says, I, you need to understand you, these things, these things that you're worrying about, you're putting all your efforts to, they're not that important. And so he goes on in verse 26. And he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father needs them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think there's something in that word look. Um, if you were to go back and see the beginning, read the beginning of Matthew Chapter 5, you would see that the beginning of the mount starts and says, Jesus sat down. And so Jesus is sitting and he's telling this story and talking about Old Testament law and, and then teaching them how to pray and going through all these things that he's talking about. And then he eventually gets on this money and worry topic. And he's been talking a lot of, uh, you know, theology, a lot of um, points he's making. And I think he suddenly stops. And he says, look. This summer, Sheila and I were up at the Lake Erie Bluffs, a beautiful metro park right on the lake out east here. And we had just gotten out to the edge of the cliff, where you, beautiful over, overview, overlook, where you see the cliffs and you see Lake Erie. And out of the distance, we start to see this bird coming. And then it's a small little dot. And I just keep my eye on it as it's just going right along the coastline there, the lake. Pretty soon I can tell, that's a big bird. <laughs> then pretty soon I said, that's an eagle. And I've never seen, I don't think, uh, an eagle in, in nature yet. And so this was, this was exciting. And I can tell you what I didn't do. I didn't sit there and turn to Sheila and start rehearsing the encyclopedia of things about an eagle. I didn't start to teach her or let her teach me about how uh, wings fly and how they stay up in the air. You know what I did? I said... Look, <laughs> look at that. And we watched it go by. And I can imagine Jesus sitting there with these disciples in the mountain and he's, he'd been teaching them and all of a sudden he says, look, look. There's something you have been missing. There's something that has been totally oblivious to you. But God has been aware of it the whole time. Look. And you know, there's a semicolon there. It says, look at the birds of the air. There's a semicolon. I just have a feeling that's more than just a semicolon. I think this is a, this is a hefty stop in action. I think this is like a timeout. And I think everybody is looking up, and they're looking. All of a sudden, they see these birds flying by. They see these beautiful creatures created by God. I can imagine Peter saying to somebody, you know, wouldn't it be neat if we could go from Jerusalem to Rome by flying? Or from Jerusalem to China and fly like a bird? <laughs> It'll never happen. <laughs> It'll never happen. But Jesus now is turning his attention and their attention toward nature. He's saying, look at them. They don't reap. They don't sow. 
They don't store away in barns. You know, the only time I can remember in Scripture anybody saying they wanted to store something away in a barn, it didn't come out. The ending didn't come out well. It was in Luke chapter 12 when a man says, you know, I've got everything. I just got more than I can handle. I want to tear down barns and build bigger barns. In Luke 12, 20, Jesus called him a fool. A fool. Basically, what he said is, you're not seeking God first. And when you seek me first, all these things will be added to you. And you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. He said, the birds are like that. But his main point in all of this is that next sentence. Are not you much more valuable than they? What is a person formed, made, created in the image of God worth? I'm surprised Peter didn't pop up an answer here, knowing him. But I think they were speechless. What, what are you worth? What am I worth? And that's what he's saying. If God can take care of these sparrows, of these little birds flying around, or these big birds, can't he take care of you if he loves you? How much more does he love you than that? And I think they're sitting back and going, wow. Wow. You know, birds aren't lazy, though. Birds aren't lazy. They may not sow and reap, but they go out and, and, and hunt and pick out the worms and, and they build their nests. Jesus is saying, don't stop seeking. Don't stop serving. But quit worrying. Quit worrying. So you don't have to become a bird. You're more important than a bird. You're more precious than a bird. You are made in the very image of my Father. And then he adds this. He says, can one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? He's basically saying worrying is useless. You probably knew that before you came here this morning. You probably didn't need a paid preacher to tell you worrying is useless. Useless. He goes on to another piece of nature. Verse 28. And why don't you worry about, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. I notice another word there, see. Again, see. So I think they took a note, look around, and probably saw flowers, beautiful flowers they never saw before. Another trip we made this summer was the Holden Arboretum. Wow, what a beautiful place. And once again, it was that, did you see that? Hey, look here. Hey, come see this. And I see Jesus doing the same thing here. Look at this. You're missing God's care. You're missing it because you're so worried. You're so much in turmoil. You're so anxious. You're missing what God is doing. And he says, here, look at it. Look at the flowers. They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't, they don't do any of these things. Yet even, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then he looks at him and he says, If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire, will he not clothe you much more, you of little faith? I think at times, and I'm guilty of this, at times I believe God can can deliver me from my sin. God can rescue me from Satan's grasp. God can take me from hell to heaven. He can give me eternal life. But I'm not sure he can handle the next two hours. <laughs> or the next two days. Or the next two weeks. Yeah, God, you can do all that big stuff. You can save my soul. You can give me hell, heaven. 
But the next two days might be a little too much for you. Jesus says, that's little faith. That's little faith. Big faith says, God, everything is under your control. So, verse 31, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And then I love this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knew all the time. Just like he knows what the birds need. Just like he knows what the flower needs. And so Jesus has said, okay, we seek first. And Pastor Kevin says, here's how we seek first. And then, then we say, okay, what's next? It's do not worry. But I don't know about you. For me, not worrying is easier said than done. It's easier said than done. So if you would turn one more place to me, further back in your Bible, we're going to get some tips, some advice from the Apostle Paul on not worrying. And it comes out of Philippians chapter 4. Two weeks ago, we were in Philippians chapter 3, and we'd shared with you a few things. And just for a couple of minutes here in closing, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4 and a few things that Paul has given us as advice. When he says, here's how a mature Christian should act. Here's how we should handle things, and especially including the worry that comes into our lives. And he starts off in verse 4 of chapter 4 with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In that verse, chapter, verse 5 there, or verse 6, he says, do not be anxious. That anxious is divided or worried. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. And he says, the first place to start off is rejoice. In fact, it's so important, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. I think Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying, which same thing that the um, friends quartet smiley faces were saying. Paul is saying, don't worry, be happy, rejoice. Paul was saying there's no reason to be a sad sack down in the dumps, grumpy Christian. He says, if we are going to have an attitude where our worries are not to overtaking us or not overcoming us, we need to start off by rejoicing. Be happy. Rejoice. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word gentleness is interesting because you look at different translations. It's a very difficult word to translate from the Greek into the, into the English. Some say your graciousness. Some say your moderation. Some say your reasonableness. It's your level-headedness. It's kind of like Kipling said. If you're the person who can keep your head when everyone else is losing theirs, you know, that's, that's you. That's your, you're a gentle person. You're, you're a person that's, that's you're, you're, you're got your facilities in control. And you're using them to serve others. He says, so, you know, keep under control. Don't go off the deep end. And then remember, the Lord is near. I like the way it's on the screen right now. Because you don't see those verse divisions in there. Because if you were looking at your Bible, you see at the end of the Lord is near is a verse, ending of a verse, and you see a six. And sometimes that paints our reading of this, these verses, markers that have been added afterwards. Sometimes we look at those and we say, okay, that's the end of it. The Lord is near. Now let's go on. 
But read that together. Read it. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Paul's just writing. He says, hey, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Jesus had said, God already knows what you need. Paul says, the Lord is near. He's near. He knows what you need. So do not be anxious. And then finally he says, the the answer is to go to God. He says, go to God. Present. Go to God. The question. You know, I'm like you. I know you have these questions because you come up and ask me these questions. Pastor Kevin, we get these questions all the time. But the question as I was looking at that was not the what then, but it was another question. And the question is this. It's back a page. If God knows what we need, why does say Paul, why does Paul say to present our requests? You ever think about that? If God knows what we need and he's near, why does Paul say present your requests? Doesn't God already know? He knows. Is he too far away? Is he on vacation? No, he's near. Why does Paul say, present your request to God? I think that's a good question. Well, there are a lot of theological reasons, maybe. But as I was studying and reading, and I went back to a book, a, a book that went along with our class on Philippians, and Matt Chandler had written. And he wrote this, and it just it, it impacted me profoundly. And I want to share it with you. He says this, Really, prayer and worry are of the same essence. They are both a rehearsing of circumstances, a mulling over, and a kind of mental and emotional chewing. But in worry, there's no connection, no traction, no relational receiver. It's like spinning our wheels. Worrying is like trying to travel in a rocking chair. You know, as you think about that, look at those words. Worrying is like trying to travel in a rocking chair. We see that, that P is saying prayer and worry are of the same essence. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that prayer and worry are a lot alike? Have you ever thought they're really similar? That's what, that's what Matt is saying. He says, he says prayer and worry are very similar. Unfortunately, when we worry, he says there's no relational receiver. We are rehearsing what's going on, as he says here. We're chewing it over. You ever chew things over in your mind and rehearse them? You rehearse the things that you would like to happen. You're rehearsing the things that you're afraid could happen. You're rehearsing all that in your mind as you're worrying. He says we have no relational receiver. We're doing all this, but we're not telling it to anybody let alone anybody who can do anything about it. We're internalizing it. It's like trying to go on a trip sitting in a rocking chair. We're taking it all in on, our, in on ourselves. And he, but he says, it, really, that's the only difference between worrying and prayer. When we worry, it's all on ourselves. We're not taking it to anybody who can do anything. The, the next part of this quote says this, but when we pray... We are worrying at God. We are worrying at God. We take those anxieties and direct them Godward, taking them to Him, placing them before Him, and of utmost importance, handing them over. This is why Martin Luther says, pray 
and let God worry. So as you go and you're thinking about today the things that may be bugging you, the things that are haunting you, the things that are tearing your soul apart, and you're saying, I've been internalizing them. I haven't, I've been mulling them over. I've been thinking, oh man, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. Or this is what I really like to happen. But it's all been in my mind. It's all been me. And I can't do a thing about it. We can go to somebody who can do something about it. We can go to somebody who cares. Somebody who's not going to ignore it. God is near. God knows what we need. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. How much more valuable are you? So, how do we worry at God? If we're going to worry at God, how do we do it? And Paul walks us through this in these verses. He says, first of all, give thanks. Give thanks. With, may, with thanksgiving, present your requests. Uh, I love Psalm 100. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, you really can't give thanksgiving, be thankful, and worry at the same time. Worry and thankfulness can't occupy the same spot. You're either thankful or you're worrying. This isn't a thanksgiving of, Lord, thank you for all the bad things that have come into my life. <laughs> maybe that, maybe you can do that. But it's a thanksgiving of, Lord, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being near to me. Thank you for knowing all about me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating me in your image. And thank you, Lord, for the answers that you're going to give. The second thing says, make your requests. Make requests. In fact, Paul says, present your requests. Petition. He said, in fact, he says this. He says, in prayer and petition. Prayer is a general, worshipful conversation that we have with God. Petition is the help me prayers. They're the help me prayers. And this morning, maybe you're there. Maybe you're saying, I need that. Can God handle it? Has God heard any of these before? <laughs> Has God heard any help me prayers before? Just a quick overview of some of those in the Old Testament that I think cried out. You remember some of Moses' help me prayers? Here's Moses leading the people, almost a million people probably, out of Egypt. And he's got all these people in the rebellion and he goes to God many times. He says, God, help me. The Israelite people many times themselves would cry out to God, God, help me. Job, we have a whole book. Help me, God. Help me. My favorite prophet, Jonah. From the belly of a whale, he cries out, In my distress, I called. Help me, prayer. Other prophets, Elijah, Jeremiah, crying out to God all the time, Lord, help me. Help my people. How about Peter, walking across the water to Jesus, and he starts to sink. He says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. How about Jesus himself in the garden? Crying out, says, help me, God. I'm facing something. If you can, you can take it from me, take it. If not, your will, not mine, but help me. Paul himself said three times, I cried out for help. I had this thorn in the flesh. I cried out for help. Help me, God. And when God said no, he said, God told me my strength is sufficient for you. 
My grace is sufficient for you. You're in my, your weakness, I am strong. Make your requests. Be thankful, make your requests. And then he says this in verse 7. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Regardless of how the circumstances turn out. You know, we just sang that song, I Will Rise. It starts off, there's a peace I've come to know. Though my heart and flesh may fail, there's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well. Because Jesus is overcome. Jesus is overcome and the grave is empty. We have peace because we, in thanksgiving, rejoicing, gone to God, made our requests known. That guarding is a military term. It's, it's kind of like surrounding or protecting or a garrison of a city. He said, guard, the Lord will guard your heart. That peace will come and he will not let Satan come in and take it away. That leads us to the third way that we worry at God. is to trust him. We just trust him. Trust him that he will guard our hearts. And that he is near. And that he will send his peace. Turn it over to him. Pray and let God worry, as Luther would say. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety or cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And so then he says, since you're not worrying, since you've given up worrying, maybe you're fast, how about this, fast worrying, what are you going to do? And he says that in in the next verse, verse 8, the last verse we look at this morning. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, instead of worrying, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about. He says, instead of worrying, focus your energies on the good things. Joyce Meyer in The Battlefield of the Mind describes worry as an attack from Satan on the mind. And that's what it is. And we need to be prepared for those attacks. Matt Chandler says this. He says, sometimes in the life of the mind, you battle image for image. Satan will place these images in your mind. The images that make you worry. And you have to say, no, no, no. I've got to replace that with another image. An image is something noble, true, right, pure, lovely, admirable. It's a battle. It's a battle for the control of my mind. It's a battle, battle for control of your heart. Let's look again at that verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think. Think about these things. These are what will replace your worry. These, when you go to God and, with thanksgiving and, and petition and praying and asking and requesting and trusting, This is what we'll replace. This is what we focus on. So remember, give thanks, make requests, and trust. Give thanks, make your requests, 
and trust him. That verse of 624 in Matthew out of the message again, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. As we were in the office this week talking about this weekend services, I was talking with Seth Wenger, our worship leader, worship minister. And he was talking about a, actually a relative of his wife who was a pastor and he was getting ready to preach a sermon on faith. And he asked God, he said, God, um, I need to experience something related to this. So would you give me some area in my life where I need to exercise faith? Dangerous prayer. He ended up with cancer. Just very soon after, diagnosed with cancer. It's kind of like wanting to preach on patience. And saying, Lord, give me patience, you know. Well, you know, when, when you go through a week and you say, I want to preach on worry. Uh, maybe you wish I picked another topic. You know, worry is just a letter, a phone call, an email, or in our case, a text away. It was Friday morning, we received a text, and, and Sheila and I were, it's, you know, it's, Big, you may, I don't know, but it was, it was something that, it was concerning. It was related to one of our children. And, and so you, I'm thinking, okay, God, how do I apply what you taught me this week? How do I not worry? And I looked at this list. I said, well, first of all, I've got to give thanks to you, God. Got to give thanks to you that I can even come to you. That I'm, I'm part of your family. And that you love me and my family so much. And then, Lord, I have a request. And here's my request. And by the way, if, if you want to know how I want it answered, <laughs> here's how I'd love to have it answered. The Bible says he knows that. And then we trust. And we trust. Saturday, we got good news. We're thankful for that. But we know that trials, worries, Challenges are going to come day after day after day. Seek God first. Don't worry. Replace that worry. Replace it by going to Him in thanksgiving and trust and make your, make your requests known to Him. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we're grateful. We're grateful that You love us, You care for us. We're grateful, Lord, this morning that um, you are near to us. We have sensed that. We sensed that in the worship time this morning. We have sensed it this morning, Lord, as, as we've shared your word. And Father, there are probably some this morning right here that came in with a boatload of worry. With cares because of some major, major things going on in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would just show each one of us, your mercy, your love, your grace, the power that you have over Satan, over our circumstances, over this world, that you have overcome. The grave is overwhelmed. We have victory. 
Lord, we thank you this morning. We love you as a child loves a father. We submit to you and we depend on you as a child does a father. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.